Letter 24. I know I always say it's my favorite letter, my favorite <laughs> chapter, but this letter happens to be uh, personally close to me. And that's because on the daily calendar, we study a portion of Tanya every day. In these classes, we do Tanya by week. It's a different system. But if you get the Chayenus or one of those programs, you see that every day we study some Tanya. And this letter 24 is always studied on my birthday, which happens to be also the 24th of Tishrei. So it's letter 24 on day 24. So uh, I've come to love this letter. And it's a very practical letter. It's about davening, prayer, and it's specifically about not talking during prayer. Being focused on what's at hand and not distracted or busy with other things. It's quite an early letter. The Chabad historians, they put it in the 1780s, the mid-1780s. So one of the earliest letters that we have extant from the Alter Rebbe because he assumed leadership of the Chabad movement officially in 1777. So it's really within the first decade. He was still living in Lyozna, which was his original city of, of, uh, of residence. And he wrote this letter apparently because he felt it was necessary. People weren't taking davening seriously enough and he wanted to inspire. And I think it's as relevant as it was then, today. Shuls the world over struggle with this issue. Especially today. Talking during davening. You know, the joke of the guy. <laughs> you know, on Shabbos we say, if we're talking about mundane things, we say, Nishtum Shabbos Gret. Like before you start, you say, not to talk about it on Shabbos, but X, Y, and Z. So these two guys came to Shul on Saturday morning, and one guy turns to the other, he says, Nishtum Shabbos Gret, I have a car for sale. Guy says, Nishtum Shabbos Gret, how much are you asking for it? Says Nishtum Shabbos Gret, five thousand dollars. Says Nishtum Shabbos Gret, that's too much. <laughs> Comes back in the afternoon for Mincha. The guy says Nishtum Shabbos Gret, I reconsidered. Guy says Nishtum Shabbos Gret, I already sold it. Listen, we gotta have. Uh, we gotta be more aware of what's taking place during davening. And that's essentially what the Alter Rebbe sets out here to do. And I think it's fascinating, again, you, we always see in these classes God's divine providence. We learn different things in different weeks. These days, this entire week, those who study the Rambam daily, one chapter a day, we're learning all about davening, all about prayer. And the Rebbe has many talks on the Rambam's discussions on prayer. And there's a theme that keeps repeating itself, which is that davening has a body and a soul. Prayer is fundamental to Judaism. We pray three times a day. Jews, Orthodox Jews or Jews who pray every day, literally your, your schedule begins to center around it. You plan trips around it. Will I be able to make it in time for a shacharis? Can I take a flight? It becomes part and parcel of who you are. People pray on the plane. We just talked about it today in the class. If you can pray on the plane, if you have to stand or sit, it's a whole thing. So it's, it's really fundamental to Judaism. And like every mitzvah, it has a body and it has a soul. 
The body of the mitzvah is the verbal enunciation of the words. It's a long prayer book. Every day we come, we have 60 pages to say, in the talis and the tefillin. And um, what it is essentially is, it's a shopping list. We go to God and we say, here's what we need today. What can we do? How can we negotiate it? And uh, here's what I'll do. Here's what you'll do. And it's literally, that's what it is. It's a textbook of bakashat rachav. That's the Hebrew expression for it. Asking for our needs. It's literally the mitzvah. But that's the body of the mitzvah. Hasidus teaches, and the Rebbe would stress this a lot, that the soul of davening is much more than uh, seeing what you can get from God. It's about meeting Him. It's a moment to have a divine experience in the chaos of the mundane life. We're so wrapped up and so involved in so many of our pursuits to, just to make a life. We're not even doing it purposely, just to make ends meet. So much going on and our head is occupied with so many different things that three times a day we, uh, we take some time to refocus, recenter, and uh, meet Hashem. That's the words he uses in Chassidus, meet to meet God. Of course, we have to put ourselves in the right mindset for it. We have to set it up. Because meeting God is not, not like meeting your, your business associates. That happens when you sit around the table and you meet each other. With Hashem, um, we have to kind of tee it up so that we can, we can do it right. And like every meeting, it involves two entities. You know, my, one of my Tanya teachers used to say, davening should be, the, the right kind of davening is the one where God is not the only one paying attention. It's easy to do that, really. You get into a robotic routine, and that's what it is. Davening just comes to be a thing that you do. If you want to go into a meeting, you both have to go into the meeting. Hashem is there, and we have to create the space. In fact, that's one of the reasons that the, the holy books bring why we do three steps back before we start Shemona Esrei, before we start the Amida. At the end, we do three steps back because we're leaving the king's presence. But why before? So the reason that's given in the books is because we're, we, we want to visualize Hashem in our space. So we back up and we create a space. We say, this is my space. And Hashem is coming into this space. And then we re-enter the space. So there's a very big mindfulness to it. And um, that's our entry point to the meeting. But, I guess mainly, Hashem is coming to the meeting. The altar of his words in this letter, it's a time of divine goodwill, eight ratzon, when Hashem reveals himself, allowing himself to be perceived by those who seek him out. And to appreciate what he says, he kind of sets the stage with an illustration. He says, the Talmud says, it's a famous line, malchuta malchuta which means the kingdom of heaven resembles the kingdom of earth. And basically it means when you examine the model of human monarchy, you can appreciate the relationship between God and, God and His people as a king and His subjects. And he says like this. He says, typically, the way it works with a real monarch is that he remains hidden. Unavailable, unaccessible. It's almost part of, part of what makes him so cool is the mystery that surrounds him. The fact that he's not easily accessible. You can't just open the door and walk in. You have to make an appointment. He says, the altar gets really descriptive. People wait for days, they wait for years to get an audience with the king. 
he's removed. That's what keeps him so honored, so respected. If he can be observed, you know, taking a walk and you can catch a glimpse of him, people would do a lot for that. Certainly if the king makes an announcement that he's making a public appearance. Very rare occasion. Part of the great effect of the king's public appearance is the fact that it's so scarce and rare. And of course when a king comes out, he doesn't just come out. A king comes out with the full parade and pomp and, and the, whole, the whole fanfare about it. That, as hard as it is to appreciate, is what happens during davening. The Alter Rebbe says, God's essence is unattainable. God remains transcendent, sublime, removed to the typical person here on earth. During davening, the precious beauty of Hashem is revealed. He announces, I'm making a public appearance. The Alter calls it, he comes to visit the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah of the Divine Presence. The word Shekhinah means to rest. It's like the, uh, the element of godliness which is invested in the world. Hashem's essence comes to pay it a visit. That's the metaphor that's used. And that's it. It's out there. Melech Malchei Amlachim, the author says, the king of the king of kings, his glory and beauty is revealed, not only in the higher realms, but now during davening, but in the lower realms as well, which is fascinating because we set the times for davening. You know, every shul makes its minion times. So we're actually, in a way, we're setting the appointment. We tell Hashem when he's going to be revealed. We say 645 is Shacharis. Hashem's there. Which is incredible. And the Alter Rebbe says, Hashem is available in the words of davening. The words are the same, the textbook is the same, every person recites the same words, but based on your mindset, based on your frame of mind, is the way you will experience Hashem through those words. Because that's how essence works. You know, he doesn't talk about it in this letter, but that's the way essence works. Things that are totally beyond the limitations or the confines of a limited system, they can be revealed to every single person differently. We know of it even in today's world. You hear a song, or you hear a speech, and everybody walks away with a different thing. What did he say? Well, he said this. And the other guy goes, no, he said this. This was the main point. Or what did you hear in the song? I heard this. Which emotion does it ring with you? That it's a whole different thing. With Hashem, it's the same way. The, the Torah says, it's in, it's in, the, it's in, the, in the Prophets, Lefi sichlo yehulal ish, which literally means a person is praised according to his intellect. We tend to grade people based on their mind's capacity. But if you read it differently in Hebrew grammar, it could also be read as Yehulal shares the word with revelation. One of the Hebrew words for revelation is Helel. And so what it means is according to one's mind, a man experiences revelation. Hashem is there for everybody. But commensurate with the level that you adjusted or refined your mind is the, is the degree to which you will experience Hashem. I think I've said it once before, not really related directly, but it just reminded me that when I was studying in the yeshiva here in LA, there was yeshiva, Rabbi Shachat, he was, he had moments where he could be harsh with the, with the guys, just to bring out a point. So he, he would tell us, what do you think is going to happen when Mashiach comes? Everybody's going to become smart? So no, 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 no. He has, he has a very, he's still alive, thank God, he just celebrated his 80th birthday. If you're smart, you're smart. If you're stupid, you're going to be stupid. He used to tell us this. But, but, 
everyone's going to want to learn when Mashiach comes. That's the difference. Everyone's going to want it. Today, it's hard to get people to want. You have to push and pull, and it's a whole debate until you get somebody to come and be involved. When Mashiach comes, everyone's going to want it. When davening comes, that's what happens. It's why people used to spend in Hasidic history and literature, it's full of spending time before davening, just taking a moment and while you're in the talis and tefillin, just to reflect on what's happening, getting yourself in the zone. The Rambam, I said before, it's these days Rambam, he says the earliest Hasidim, the earliest pious men, used to reflect before davening for a full hour. And they would reflect after davening for a full hour to kind of allow the experience to be distilled. But at least before. So that's what's happening. The king is totally removed, totally unavailable. He says during davening, he's coming out to be revealed. Says the Altair, but let's take the metaphor. Let's go back to the metaphor. King says he's coming out. Everybody's rushing to see him, which fool's not going to do it. But then you have one guy who, in the presence of the king, turns to his friend, Nishtam Shabbos Gurnet, you know, can I sell you my car? Or let's check the news. Or let me text. He doesn't talk about text. But he talks about talking specifically, okay? The talking is what, is what gets to him. Someone would stand in front of the king's presence. He's there, and he's not trying to look. Not only is he not trying to look, he's actively engaging in something that's contrary to that. He's just having a, he's having a talk. He's having a little convo. What would people think of him? How, the author says, how low and foolish... Give me another synonym, because he uses three words. I don't know, what's another synonym for foolish? Idiot, I guess. I mean, just, just to be kind. Babur. Ign- it's, it's, it's ignorance, he says. Simple. Simple. Everybody would consider him, he, says, he uses the words of Tehilim. Nimshal ka behemot nidbu. People would compare him to an animal. With total lack of intelligence. Plus, besides the fact that that's, that, that part's on you, you're lacking the intelligence. But then, you're degrading the king. The king came out, and you're talking, that's an affront to him. You're showing him that your own needs are more important than him. And even according to Jewish law, one would be culpable for one's life for that. Meridah b'malchut, rebelling against the king, is liable to the death penalty. So the Alter Rebbe says, Ahuvai achai, these are his words in the letter, he says, my brothers, my beloved, you're beloved by Hashem, and you're hated by your Yetzer Hara. It's kind of poetic in Hebrew. Yotzer is the creator, Yetzer is the inclination. He says, Ahuvim li Yotzram, Snuim li Yitzram. You're loved by your creator, hated by your Yetzer. He's trying to influence you to make the wrong decisions. You have a time in the day when Hashem says, I'm coming out. You, you decided that time in the day. So it's on your terms. And the one moment that you, ch- that you chose for Hashem to put into his calendar and uh, you know, come, come down to, to visit the shul and you talk about your own stuff. He uses those words. He says, talking about your own stuff, it demonstrates that you don't want to take into account, you don't want to ponder um, and see the revelation of Hashem that's available at this time. He says, you become a chariot for the supernal fool. Like Silha Elyon, the supernal fool. It's a reference to Klippa. All the negative forces are called the fool because they don't operate with logic. They always get us to 
they catch us on our weak moments. Everybody knows, when, like, whenever you give in to something, it's typically in, in a weak moment. And had you had enough logic to, uh, to be in control, you wouldn't have done it. But because you were down or he caught you in the middle of something, so then you make, you make a mistake. So uh, that's what he says. You're becoming a chariot. You're allowing it to ride on you. You're allowing it to be transported to get value through you. Abdurrahim goes even further. You know that famous quote? I tried looking up who it's attributed to. I heard it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Some say, uh, it's like an even earlier, some writer. Better shut your mouth and have people think you're stupid than open your mouth and prove it. Right? Something like that. Or better keep quiet and people think you're, you're wise, open your mouth and remove all doubt. Some, anyway. It's, it's a verse in the Proverbs that people don't know. It comes from, Shlomo HaMelech said, Evil meirim kalon. Eksilim meirim kalon. A fool raises his shame. Even an empty barrel looks full when it's shut. Right Similar theme. The Similar theme right there, exactly. He says, let's say, let's say you're foolish. Okay, let's say you're not in touch with uh, how great the king is. You're a regular villager, the king is coming out, you don't really get what it means. But don't raise your flag. You know, don't, like, don't, don't let everybody know what you don't know. But they have that other line with the, uh, the different levels to when people reveal to you that they're foolish. Right? Some people, as soon as they open the door, you know they're a fool. Some people, you have to wait till they sit down at the table. And some people control themselves and act pleasantly and impressively, but then when they shut the door, then you know that they're a fool, like behind them. You know? So he says, other says, you're unaware. Okay, granted, not everybody is in the zone to, to be aware of that. Don't let everybody know. At least act, at least speak in a way that demonstrates that you're aware of what's happening. Follow the code of conduct, follow social, the, 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 the etiquette. So he says, the Shulchan Aruch, you know, this Jewish law is full of it. We speak of uh, davening as being a time of in the presence of the king. At least show yourself that way. Act that way. If your thoughts are somewhere else, there's a verse in, uh, in chapter 20 of Psalms. It says, Eilev arechev ve'eilev asusim v'anachnu b'shem Hashem alokeinu nazkir. Which means these people come with the chariots, these people come with the horses. We have the name of Hashem. It's meant to bring out, uh, you know, that we, we have a higher power than everybody else. But the Hasidim of old used to say that unfortunately, some people travel distances by chariots, some people travel distances by horses, but a regular Jew, all he has to do is say Hashem's name and his mind is already in the stock market. He's davening and his mind is somewhere else already. He's like, okay, if your mind is there, fine, be distracted. But at least, uh, at least stand and, and do the part. Okay, that's the, that's the groundwork out there. Okay, that's, that's my piece of inspiration for you. Understand that davening is more than just a recitation of a ceremonial liturgy or whatnot. It's a meeting. It's a meeting between Hashem. Create your space and you'll meet Him according to your capacity. I may not meet Him like the great rabbi might meet Him. That's fine. But I meet Him on my own terms, in my own way. And He wants to be met by me. He wants to meet me too. And when we talk about other things, it really, puts, it really gets in the way of that. So the author says, I'm coming now. I'm doing the sage's mission. I'm doing the mission entrusted to me by the sages of old. And I'm making a decree. 
he says in the letter, making a decree applicable to every person. Do not talk any meaningless talk from the moment the Chazan ascends to the Bima until the end of the final Kaddish after the prayers. And it doesn't make a difference if it's the morning service, Shacharis, if it's Mincha, if it's Mayriv, all three prayers. And then he adds etc., which apparently means like maybe Musaf prayer or on Yom Kippur, then Ila, I don't know. Says Mayrev, Shacharis, Mincha, etc. To the point that if a person transgresses willfully, he says, you should sit down on the floor and request of three people to be a, a, a bet din, to be a court for you, to, uh, to release you from the ban of excommunication that's placed upon you by heaven. We know before Rosh Hashanah, we do like a hatarat nidarim. We get in front of a crowd, we declare them to be a high court, they release us from our vows. He says, this is so serious. I want you to take it so seriously that if you talk purposely during davening and you disturb your own consciousness, forget others, just your own moment, understand that from heaven they have placed you in a ban of ostracism and stand in front of three people. That's how serious it is. Then you do tshuva, and you'll be fine. Because the ban only works till you do tshuva. Once you do tshuva, you're healed. And then he adds a caveat. He says, by the way, you should just know, it only applies to somebody who speaks purposely, like in defiance of Hashem, or, or with derision is the word he uses, bisha'at nefesh. Somebody who forgets, a piece of info comes out of his mouth, he just starts talking, it slips. That's fine. The whole decree was never said about that. It was never, people were not meant to be angels. Not meant to be perfect. It happens, you slip, something, something comes out. No big deal. I actually saw a letter today, I was researching some things for the class, in 1979, um, and actually this time, the summertime, the, the Rebbe wrote a letter to a, a prominent rabbi in Israel. He says, I, I, I always give people benefit of the doubt, but I've heard a rumor that in your shul, uh, there's people that are talking during davening and it's becoming too much I'm going to assume till further notice that all these people just go into the second category of the Alter Rebbe that they forgot or they slipped but I just wanted to let you know he says because it came to my attention it's a matter of communal it's a, it's a, it's a communal matter but I'm going to judge benefit of the doubt that it's all the people that that forgot basically hinted message you know fix it up but but that's the thing. Forgot? Did it mean to? Okay. Purposeful? Defiant? You come in and you're treating it like, you know, like you're, like you're here at home or something? It's really serious. And he concludes with a verse. He says, Hashem Hashem does good both to those who are good and to those who are straight of heart. So the commentaries to the Tanya explain why he chose this verse because that's what he's saying. Hashem will do good to both. Whether you're good actively, demonstratively, or you're at least straight in the heart. In other words, you came with the right intentions, just some words slipped out. Hashem does good to both. But if in the heart you have the wrong intentions, then the, uh, the, yeah, the, the implication is not. Bochen Klayot Valev, he checks the hearts and minds of people. He knows the difference between your intentions. So you don't have to worry about being judged by the true judge. Hashem knows. Hashem knows what's happening. And, uh, and that's it. He calls it a day. It's a letter, 
short and sweet to the point. And if I'll be honest, I mean, I, I think it's a, simple, it's a simple and important lesson. Something I struggle with too. I think it's a very big struggle, this uh, talking during davening thing. It is. I actually saw, I want to get to your comment, but I actually saw in 1983, the Rebbe had a public fabringen. He said, you know, I find it so counterintuitive that whenever I'm in shul, he says about himself, when people are making noise, I always hear the adults shushing the kids. They say, kids, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. He says, and I think sometimes to myself that we should be shushing the adults. So so many adults come in here, and all they're after is sharing the latest news with the friend, what happened, the latest politics. This is 1983, so this is before WhatsApp and all this stuff. You can imagine what the Rebbe would say today if he saw such a thing. And he said, because in many shuls there hangs a sign with the quote from Shulchan Aruch. It says, Asur daber, bishat You cannot speak during the time of davening and reading the Torah. So the Rebbe says, in this shul in 770, there's a sign hanging. It says, straight quote, Asur daber. But what happens? The people come in and they're so preoccupied with sharing the latest news and catching their friend that they don't even have time to look around the walls and see the sign. And he called for it. He said, we, we, we really got to fix it. Before you shush a child, shush, see, see if you have to look in, you know, be introspective and, and quiet your inner child who wants to, you know, just do, uh, do whatever. Although I did hear a story once that... Um, there was a rabbi who saw that there was a big problem in his shul, too much talking, and so he made, he came out really harshly against talking in shul. And then what happened was like the next week or two weeks later, he started to get a ton of communal issues. This one's struggling with that, struggling financially, with the loan, with health, with merit. And basically he realized that people were helping each other out in his shul, wonderful community. They were talking and they were solving each other's issues. So he said, okay, I backtrack. Only during davening, no talking. Before and after, you can socialize, no problem. We'll speak in the shul. Like, just during the davening, we'll keep it. So obviously, you have to do it in moderation. But uh, I, think, I think the way to do it is to lead by example. I think we have to each take it upon ourselves to see how we can get better in that area. Because it's something that I'm weak in. It's something that we all see people that are weak in. And if we can, I think, you know, if we can inspire ourselves and, and, and get better at it, I think we'll, uh, we'll bring about a change. You know what I mean? Less talking to others, more talking to Hashem. So I think today, let's raise a glass or a bottle. L'chaim to increasing our dedication to davening, treating it with more respect, and talking less during davening. To talking less, L'chaim. <laughs>